Men live their lives trapped in an eternal present, between the mists of memory and the sea of shadow that is all we know of the days to come. Certain moths live their whole lives in a day, yet to them that little span of time must seem as long as years and decades do to us. An oak may live 300 years, a redwood tree 3,000. A werewood will live forever if left undisturbed. To them seasons pass in the flutter of a moth's wing, and past, present, and future are one. And apparently they remember it all, too. <laughs> the eternal memory of the werewoods is perhaps the origin of the phrase, the North remembers. In fact, it becomes almost literally true. The North, as a physical, non-human entity, uh, actually remembers. The land itself surveils and records. So, welcome to another episode of History of Westeros Podcast, a podcast dedicated to George R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire book series, as well as HBO's Game of Thrones. In Werewoods Part 1, we highlighted details and introduced theories while using certain trees as examples. But you may have noticed that we didn't go into too much detail with regard to where the individual trees are, nor did we give many of them particularly specific attention. So keeping in mind what you just learned last episode, plus what you already knew, we're going to go through all the Werewoods individually, how each one relates to what we've discussed, and as always, we'll look at how all this relates to the main storyline. As we pointed out in the last episode, the werewoods have gotten more important with each passing book, so getting a handle on all of this should really pay off by The Winds of Winter, or if you read or re-listen to it again. <laughs> yeah, and why not? Every new book I consider reading, and I read a fair amount, has to pass the Song of Ice and Fire test. Do I want to read this new book, really? Or do I just want to reread A Song of Ice and Fire? <laughs> it's, a, it's A lot of books don't pass that test. It's a new experience every time you read A Song of Ice and Fire because there's always so much to learn and so much to miss. So coming at it again with a fresh set of theories, new ideas, or maybe because you just marathoned all our episodes again, it's, like I said, it's like a whole new experience. Mm -hmm. So as we uh, describe each tree, keep in mind the theories and observations regarding blood, location, and which important events each heart tree may have witnessed throughout its long life. This episode really bleeds into a lot of other old gods topics. There's a lot in here about ravens, the others, genetics, weather, and several magic topics. Um, you don't have to know the material as well as we do to mm -hmm. catch something new or to make a suggestion. All it takes is to be a fan. There, therein lies one of the many awesome things about loving A Song of Ice and Fire. It's a one-size-fits-all situation. Mm -hmm. There's a broad fan base that spans cultures, ages, any demographic you can come up with, basically. Notably, there are a lot of fans who just haven't had much prior exposure to fantasy. Uh, when you get a really diverse group of people together, you do have the, the potential to really understand something because everyone approaches problems differently. Makes sense. Yeah. It isn't always about a matter of being smarter or having more information. It can just be about perception or persistence, too. Sometimes just one missed detail or unconsidered aspect changes everything. Yeah. One little overlooked detail eh, changes everything sometimes. We've seen that with a lot of the major Song of Ice and Fire theories have been killed by just one missing detail or have changed entirely because of one new piece of information. Mm -hmm. Uh, now, we've learned a few techniques along the way uh, as podcasters and researchers of George R. R. Martin's world. As we've said before, it pays to look closely because of how often you're rewarded by what you find. But sometimes important revelations or new mysteries come from what isn't there. That will be part of our theme for the episode, if you will. Of course, there are places that have werewoods and places that don't. In most cases, the lack of a werewood means nothing, but a few very specific cases are very telling. Yeah. Uh, not just what it can tell us about the history of the place, but this. If a lack of trees means a lack of presence of the old gods and their power and watchfulness, 
That marks certain locations, especially in the north, is mm-hmm. very noteworthy. We're also going to cover some of the important events that have occurred near Werewoods, as that will help us fit things to the main storyline. Right. Always an important thing to do. <laughs> a few of you raised some good questions, too, between this episode. And yeah, we're going to incorporate those into the flow of this installment of Religions and Magic, which is now at part three, entitled The Werewood Tour. So this is part two of Werewoods, but part three of Religion and Magic. It's a little confusing. <laughs> uh, I think uh, it's just a little confusing. Part It's part two and part three. But anyways, <laughs> uh, since we're dealing with uh, such a big topic in general, uh, this will give us a chance to talk about some of the things that we just didn't have time for in the first Werewood episodes, too, even if they're not necessarily about the tour or about your questions. Right, and that's kind of what I meant earlier about mm-hmm. getting into these other topics that that are related, but mm-hmm. maybe not, you know, directly, specifically about werewolves. But mm-hmm. it's just everything bleeds into everything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, yeah. uh, that's where we're going to start with one of these bleed through topics. Yeah, uh, a ward, for instance, is a magical concept. It's common in fantasy. I mean, I'm sure you've heard it before. It's basically a keep out spell. It's often only targets certain undesirable types and ignores normal people. If you think of the term ward off evil spirits, you got the idea. Yeah, not talking about a ward of the state or a ward <laughs> of someone's get or a ward ceremony. That's true. <laughs> We're talking about those. the magical stuff. Yeah, it's funny when you see these things written and they sound differently when they're <laughs> said out loud. <laughs> so Sometimes uh, a war prevents yeah. other supernatural things from occurring nearby. It like makes magic useless. And the most, specific example most that obvious see. place we see this in A Song of Ice and Fire is the wall. Uh, of course. Not only are we told that the wall has magic built into it to keep out the others, but John loses all contact with Ghost when they're on opposite sides. When Ghost is, is north of the wall and John's already made his way back over, no wolf dreams. All mm-hmm. sense of him, as John puts it, is gone. On the other hand, Melisandre mm-hmm. thinks to herself when she's at the wall. She thinks she was stronger at the wall. Stronger even then in Ashai. Hmm. And Ashai, we hear some things about Ashai being mm-hmm. magical and mystical, and so that really mm-hmm. says something. Now, it may seem backwards for a fire priestess to draw power from a huge wall of ice. <laughs> but remember what we discussed in the last episode. It's incomplete to call Relore the god of fire. Mm-hmm. Complete would be the god of fire and shadow. And in fact, Melisandre specifically speaks of that aspect. Such shadows as I bring forth here will be terrible, and no creature of the dark will stand before them. It is fair to point out that it may not be the wall itself that's causing this. It could be Melisandre thinking it's the wall. And it is, in fact, that it is. Melisandre describes it as a, as a hinge of the world, whatever that means. So, yeah, whatever that means. <laughs> hinge I, of the world. There's something magical, though. And, and maybe Ashai is another one of those places. It could be that. It might be why the wall is there, rather than the other way around. In other words, rather than her added potency being a product of the wall, mm-hmm. it could be that this hinge business is why the wall is possible in the first place. So it might also have something to do with why there's no werewolves at the wall. Which is odd. Which but, is, yeah. So <laughs> there at the wall, for whatever reason, Melisandre is stronger, but at Storm's End, her shadows can't even get inside. Yeah. Remember that she needed Davos to you know, smuggle her past the walls. Then she let loose her shadow. And she kind of explains it. She says, There are spells woven into the stones, dark walls that no shadow can pass, ancient, forgotten, yet still in place. Mm. Interesting. Another place that Relora's powers don't seem to work is at High Heart. Mm-hmm. The red-eyed albino dwarf woman who might be part or full child of the forest. Maybe part. I don't think full. Probably not full. But, she doesn't look yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, she says... Look in your fires, pink priest, and you will see. Not now, though. Not here. 
You'll see nothing here. This place belongs to the old gods still. I can't do a, a high-pitched dwarf yeah. woman voice. <laughs> I was laughing at the pink priest. <laughs> but Thoros, uh, he verifies this. When asked by Gendry if he can truly see the future in the flames, he echoes the tiny prophet's words. Not here. Not now. Just like she says it. <laughs> yeah, just like she says it. So to recap that confusing bit of magic doublespeak, uh, the power of the old gods seems to be warded or blocked at the wall, yet strong amongst the, a bunch of weirwood stumps and roots in the southern riverlands. Meanwhile, the power of Relora is blocked amongst those same stumps and roots, yet thrives at the wall. Intuitively, that might seem backwards, but the difference might be the weirwoods. Mm -hmm. We've already shown that there is power in the stumps uh, and roots, but there are no stumps and roots, let alone heart trees at the wall. Almost nada. Yeah. There is at least one weirwood there, and we'll get to it later, but it's young and it's not a heart tree, so it can't really play a role <laughs> in the long term, yeah. but we'll get to that a little bit later. Overall, we really don't know what to make of this or how it will play out, so the best we can do is draw your attention to it, so that when clues appear in the next book, you'll recognize them. George puts all kinds of hints in there for us, but no clue is useful if it's unseen or misunderstood. So you are intelligent and very attractive audience Wink. are ahead of the game. <laughs> Studies that have never actually been conducted confirm that History of Westeros listeners consistently defeat non-History of Westeros listeners at A Song of Ice and Fire Trivia. Soon to be an Olympic event. Very soon. <laughs> 2000, uh, when's the next Olympic event? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> soon. <laughs> As we pointed to in the Comet episode, there's also a, a lot of overlap in the type of magic it used. It's so much overlap. That's honestly one of the hardest things when it comes to making these episodes is just where it is everywhere where should we talk about this exactly uh, what's the difference between reading the flames to see the past or future or tapping into the werewood network to do the same we talk a lot about relore in this werewood episode it's true it's <laughs> just too much it's, it's interesting to see how the different magics interact with each other yeah. as best as we can figure it out some of it's difficult um, but what's the, like, sh like she said, what's the fundamental difference between, say, Lord Barrack's return to life and that of Cold Hands? They're just, they're yeah. animated corpses that, that <laughs> remember things about their lives. Maybe the yeah. Whites have some memories about that too, and they just can't talk. <laughs> we don't know. Even John poses that very question in the Dance of Dragons. Can they talk? I don't <laughs> know. Melisandre is apparently over 100 years old. And so is, is Blood Raven. Right? So is that somehow Those connected to sort of extending life? Certainly. Melisandre looks a lot better than Blood Raven. <laughs> I gotta say. Just a bit. <laughs> <laughs> now, and what's the difference between the fire and shadows of R'hllor and the ice and shadows of the others? Yeah. And maybe there's some sort of connection there as well. What's, and what's the difference between the wards on the wall, which keeps out the others, and the wards on the entrance of the cave of the Three-Eyed Crow, which seems to do the same? And by the way, note the description of the cave's entrance, as described by Cold Hands. You can see the entrance there, halfway up, between the werewoods, that cleft in the rock. Between the werewoods, eh? Hmm. No <laughs> werewoods on the wall, but the others are kept out. Werewoods at the entrance to the cave, but the others are kept out, I guess. More on that later. <laughs> Cold Hands and the Whites are blocked by the ward in the cave and at the wall itself. That is very sure, at least. So, Yeah. I don't know what to make of that exactly. And yeah. seriously, though, why the hell aren't there any heart trees at the wall? How can it be that the Northerners, who still support the wall despite the rest of the realm sending only criminals and worse, were not accorded a place of worship at any of the 19 castles that are built along it? 
It's a mystery. <laughs> the brothers who want to worship the old gods have to go beyond the wall to do so properly. They're not so far, to be sure, but still. Yeah, it's still it's like a couple of leagues or whatever. Northerners make up a relatively high percentage of men who take the black, and an extremely high percentage of those who take the black on purpose, as opposed to you know, criminals <laughs> or those who fought on the wrong side of a war. Mm-hmm. Uh, yet they have to go to a place called the Haunted Forest <laughs> in order to pray. That didn't seem right. It's not easy to <laughs> overlook. Though, simple answers are possible. Yeah, perhaps they simply refuse to grow there. Maybe there, yeah. there's no, if hard trees don't grow there, that's nobody's fault. Uh, you know, the, the Night's Watch can't be blamed mm-hmm. for that or the builders. Uh, it could have to do with the magic of the wall, though, or whatever makes the mm-hmm. wall possible. That stuff we were talking about earlier. Yeah. Maybe there were heart trees at some or all of the castles at one point, and someone could have had them cut down. Ooh. You know, maybe the Night's King, or on his own, or by the manipulations of his so-called corpse bride (laughs) ah night's king is tim burton apparently (laughs) or at least he's directed by tim burton (laughs) uh perhaps he's the great other tim burton is the great other that's that's (laughs) that's our big reveal we don't want to get too lost on the topic of the night's king or or tim burton that's true we this episode's about tim burton you guys uh anyways but it does at least need to be said that there is a strong parallel between uh the night's king or tim burton too uh and his supposedly half other bride uh with stannis and melisandre there's a lot of parallels there um mel torched the tree at storm's end so maybe it was the same long ago maybe that's another part of the parallel but we have no hint of even a stump at Castle Black. You know, I, I think there would at least be a little something left behind it. They have really uprooted the whole thing. But there's also no God's Wood either. Um, and even southern castles typically have those. So that's, that's a little peculiar. Yeah, and one of the many parallels that we alluded to is that the Night's King and his queen ruled from the night for Makes sense. The yeah. oldest, it's the oldest castle on the wall, and it's abandoned, of course, but it was recently chosen by Stannis as his new official seat. Yet another parallel. Yes. This means, at least for now, that Stannis has declared the night for his capital. It's his new Storm's End. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite, uh, it doesn't quite live up to Storm's End, but it's, huh. it's serviceable enough. Um, so it's also where we're going to start our tour, though, because it is the one place along the wall that has a werewood. A werewood. Not a heart tree. Right. No face. No face. In fact, this seems to be a relatively new tree, not one that has been uh, a part of the Night Fort since the days when it was occupied. Mm-hmm. When Bran and company take note of it up close, we see that it is burst through the floor next to the well in the kitchen, and he and he describes it. It was a queer kind of tree, skinnier than any other werewood that Bran had ever seen, and faceless as well. But it made him feel as if the old gods mm-hmm. were with him here, at least. So given that it's growing through the floor, in the kitchen no less, is skinny and has no face... You can see why we're guessing it's young. The Night Fort has been abandoned for more than 200 years, so this tree is probably not much older than 150 or so. It mm-hmm. could be younger. Mm-hmm. But it's grown up, upwards towards and through a hole in the roof, though, enough so that they saw it easily from outside the castle. So I like our guess. Also, the hole reveals that the kitchen was burned, which a tree certainly would not have expected. Right, the tree doesn't survived. show any. The yeah. tree doesn't show any signs of being burned yeah. or anything. Like, you know, what the tree didn't. They didn't plant the tree in the kitchen like that. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Through the floor, you know, like let's just put it right there. <laughs> but there's also a subtle clue here, uh, besides the obvious. Bran says he's never seen a skinnier werewolf. I guess he's too young to have gotten around too much, but it is a little curious that Bran hasn't has never seen a werewood sapling or the like. Yeah, like that would be skinnier, right? Maybe he's <laughs> just maybe it's just the way he worded it, but maybe we're reading too much into that. Yeah. But it could be a sign that young werewoods are you know are really rare. Um, mm-hmm. John sees a bunch of werewoods off in the distance when he's at a particularly high vantage point, so that we know that they aren't exactly rare in general. But uh, let's think about that and do some simple math. Consider that no one in the north cuts them down. So even if we assume a mere few saplings a year, just a few, (laughs) 
we'd still wind up thousands of years later with thousands of werewolves. <laughs> I mean, think about that pacing yeah. there. Uh, so the North is huge, and we've only seen a, a fraction of it. But not only are we going to have John later seeing that he's never seen, John's never indicated that he's ever seen a sapling or, or large groups of werewolves other mm-hmm. than the Grove of Nine beyond yeah. the wall. So it just doesn't. It doesn't seem that that, that works. Yeah, I don't so. think I don't think there are thousands and thousands of werewolves in the north. Yeah. So we're looking at you know maybe only a few per decade or so, maybe even less. Yeah, and, and new werewolves do seem to be a pretty rare thing. Although we will point out a few others that maybe seem somewhat young. Mm-hmm. And this, so this begs the question: How did this tree get here in the first place? It seems like a, if, if they're rare, they're and it pops up in a floor in a kitchen, and that's the place it comes <laughs> up. <laughs> The children are <laughs> responsible for many werewood plantings. Uh, there's ever evidence that we t- we talk about a little later in the episode. Uh, given everything about them, it hardly needs proving. Are they involved with it? Yeah, it really could be. The implication of a werewood coming up from the floor is, well, tunnels, maybe. The endless tunnels we see in the cave of the Three-Eyed Crow could easily lead under the Night Fort. <laughs> and if you want to think really darkly about this, Consider these tunnels in light of all the terrible things said about the night fort and wonder if the children are any part of it. Mm-hmm. For example, the, the all these stories about the rat cook and <laughs> the, um, the the Kinslayer episode of that, um, the Andal King who who mm-hmm. had his, you know, who was eaten in a pie along like the, the, <laughs> the phrase were. Yeah. What if the children somehow are, uh, you know, were a part of that? Mm-hmm. It's possible. Uh, Bran, he also mentions that the tree makes him feel as if the old gods are there. And perhaps this tree is just their slow reclaiming of what once was theirs, as nature itself does to anything left untended by humankind. And that, But that said, Bran's feelings are a big deal. They're not just normal. This isn't normal human intuition. This, this little kid has powers, so his feelings are... You know, they're, they're a little more important. You cannot easily set aside. So if we turn that around and consider the opposite... A lack of werewood indicates a lack of the old gods. Further driving home a very odd point that something is strange about the magic of the wall. In many ways, it seems to oppose the old gods, like a huge light in the center of their realm, dividing it. Yeah. It could even be that the others want to destroy the wall in order to erase this perversion. Yeah. (laughs) Come on, guys. A little empathy for the others. (laughs) And for all our wild theories, I, I think these... Two werewolf episodes. I don't think. I know. These two <laughs> episodes have far more crackpot in them than all of our other previous episodes put together. Uh, but this is just that kind of topic. Yeah, it's really. magic. <laughs> we yeah. we got to get out there with magic. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> doesn't have to make sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, Summer's feelings matter a lot too. Uh, Summer did not like the night fort. <laughs> <laughs> of course. There were plenty. We we kind of knew that without summer, but it's always it's always nice to know whatever the direwolves are thinking because they tend to be right about everything. Mm-hmm. Now there's no ravens on this particular tree either, which might not mean anything. But it's noteworthy because, yeah. as we'll see later, ravens on werewolves is very common. Mm-hmm. It might not be a stretch to say that Blood Raven could be watching through any raven at any point in time, in any time. So the trees he does or doesn't have his helpers on at could bear extra attention. Not that he controls them all or something to that effect, but always be suspicious when it comes to ravens. Yeah, that's right. More on that later. <laughs> yeah. Stannis, of course, is farther south, but his queen and her people, including Melisandre, should be heading to the Night Fort at some point soon. Given that Mel burned the godswood and Heart Tree at Storm's End, this somewhat young werewood might find itself aflame soon. Mm, that would be no fun. <laughs> Especially if it interferes with their magic like it did to Thoros at High Heart. That she'd have and, a practical reason for that. And what will, <laughs> what will Melisandre make of the Black Gate? 
Not a tree itself, but it is a werewood door that only opens for a black brother, as Sam demonstrated. <sighs> it's possible she tries to destroy it as well. She doesn't seem to like anything that's remotely magical or sacred that isn't Rolora. <laughs> that's her yeah. thing. What happens in that case? Well, for someone who clearly often gets things wrong, Melisandre huh. again, this could be an um, <laughs> interesting <laughs> mistake to make. Destroying the magical elements that there at the wall, at the night fort, mm -hmm. could create... An opening, maybe, yeah. for the others to bypass the wall. Something catastrophic like that. I don't know. It's a bit strange, though, isn't it? That the, the fact that this castle was abandoned. I'm not so sure that the other on-the-wall castles have a talking door. Really? Yeah. Why would they give up the talking door? Yeah. Maybe it's because of all those... I guess it's because of those other horrible things that happened there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh -huh. Another crucial parallel we want to draw attention to is the notion that the Night King's bride was an other or half-other or something. That's what old Nan says, anyway. <laughs> and, that's night, and that Night's King was found to be offering sacrifices to them. And we sort of know what that means. Craster. Yep. <laughs> All this bags, well, several questions. But a particularly huge one is, what kind of relationship do the others have to the heart trees? It's definitely still a developing situation, but of course we still have some thoughts on it. Surely if they were willing and capable and saw the, threes as a, the trees as a threat, they'd destroy them. But perhaps they're not capable of doing that. Maybe the trees are like <laughs> giant crosses to vampires. <laughs> Recall those werewolves at the entrance of the cave to the three-eyed crow and that they can't get past it. Mm -hmm. Maybe they can look through the eyes of the trees themselves. Uh, I'm guessing no to both of those. Uh, though a few things that are, are curious and leave the possibilities open. It seems just as, if not more likely, that the werewolves are a part of nature. You know, they're... A they're a sacred to the others, perhaps. Maybe they are just like any follower of the old gods. I mean... It wouldn't be the first time in fantasy or in real life that the bad guys and the good guys, kind of quote-unquote bad guys, good guys, <laughs> worship the same deities. That's it's not that unfamiliar. Mm -hmm. Many religions or mythical traditions throughout real life or world history have light and dark sides, for example, mm -hmm. with or without considering these dark sides as evil. It's just, you know, maybe yin-yang kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, we the others are sort of painted as evil, but that doesn't really mean that's the truth. It's not very Martin-like to be mm -hmm. so black and white. Destruction and death are a part of nature, after all, just as much as renewal in life. And there is no motive or driving intelligence behind nature. But this is Westeros, and the rules are different. Mm. We can accept most of the same basic premises as we do here on Earth, but the differences are crucial to take note of. In Westeros, especially the, in the North, the weather, nature itself as well, can in fact have motives or an agenda. At the very least, it can be manipulated. Mm. See examples such as the hammer of the waters, the breaking of the arm of Dorm, whatever happened at Hardhome, perhaps the doom of Valyria itself. Yeah, that could have been triggered by people or yeah. magic. At the heart of all this may lie the explanation for the strange and unpredictable seasons, and perhaps the wall. Uh, it could even be that the werewoods know the answers to all of this, and Bran maybe mm. will <laughs> dig into the network and figure that out and let us all know. More evidence of the old gods' dark side and their possible connection to the others can be found in Craster, a man who inspires such revulsion that it distracts from how unique and important he is, and perhaps also serves to undercut the importance of what we learned from him. Another clever choice by George R. R. Martin there. Okay. We all tend to look at a bit less at disgusting people <laughs> when looking for clues. I don't look at you very often. <laughs> well, don't look. Yeah. yeah, well, I have no clues. I have no clue. <laughs> So some important ones may have been obscured by this disgusting facade uh, of Craster. Yeah. He calls himself a godly man, 
And tells the Night's Watch that they best get right with the gods. <laughs> but he's sacrificing his sons to the others. Is that who he considers the old gods? Interesting. That's not what Ned Stark worships, I don't think. <laughs> or, nor does he seem to give sacrifice to anything. Though, chilling though it might be, con- be to consider, why would we assume that Craster is the only one doing this? Especially given what we know of the general history of blood sacrifice in the North. Giving blood to a tree is not the same as giving your male babies to White Walkers. <laughs> so clearly different Northerners worship differently. If we can call it worship. And by the way, Gior Mormon himself points out about Craster to John. He worships darker gods than we do, which I don't. I never understood that because they're all the old gods, right? Mm. Mm-hmm. Craster, however, does seem to be left alone by the others. He seems to have... An arrangement of sorts with them. The wildlings all fear the White Walkers. He doesn't seem to, or so we've seen anyway. He, perhaps we shouldn't assume Craster was the only one making these sacrifices, but he's the, the most obvious version. It seems really likely, though, that whether the old gods are true deities or not, that the others are part of it all. On par with an extension of, a direct part of, maybe, the old gods' pantheon. <laughs> For lack of a better unifying term, I think you get the point. And sometimes the others are worshipped in the same manner, like the aforementioned Craster. Yeah. Sacrifice to the others. <laughs> so there's some sort of crossover there, and mm-hmm. we're trying to get at it. <laughs> As we continue through this episode, you'll see clues that lead us to believe that, just maybe, each tree impacts its area in different ways, like some sort of minor deity, perhaps. But I prefer a different analogy. Each tree <laughs> could be said to be not unlike a minor lord, dominating, controlling, sometimes even taxing in, in its own way. And like human beings would, this indicates a wide variety of personalities and even wider variety of possibilities. The next stop on the tour takes us north and west from the Night Fort and to the other side of the wall. Here we will introduce another theory that we have. One of the mysteries we're faced with is the size of the trees, some of which seem unusually large or small based on how old they seem to be. And given the seemingly normal access to sun and soil... Mm-hmm. In part one, we also raised the possibility that blood might actually nourish a heart tree. If the sacrifice of humans and offering of blood impacts the tree's growth in any way, it could explain why some werewoods are so much larger than others. Some of the largest seems seem to have lots of blood and death around them, or did have that at one point. The werewood at the village of White Tree is a monster that may receive human sacrifice even now. It was the biggest tree Jon Snow had ever seen. The trunk near eight feet wide. The branches spreading so far that the entire village was shaded beneath their canopy. Wow. <laughs> the size did not disturb him so much as the face. The mouth especially. No simple, no simple carved slash, but a jagged hollow large enough to swallow a sheep. Those are not sheep bones, though. Nor is that a sheep's skull in the ashes. An old tree. Mormont sat his horse frowning. Old, his raven agreed from his shoulder. Old, old, old. And powerful. John could feel the power. I think you're meant to be a raven. <laughs> and since John is a very strong warg, this feeling of the power could be more than a poetic description of how creepy this tree is. Not unlike how wargs can sense each other, even when inside their animals, and even when dead. Perhaps John can sense the personality or personalities in the white tree. He may not realize what he's truly sensing. Is it simply the superstitious beliefs of the local wildlings? It could be. After all... Thorin Smallwood, when he sees the tree, he says, I'd like to take an axe to that thing. <laughs> no wonder the the, 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 old, the first men in Andals wanted to cut those things down. <laughs> He's just disgusted by it. Uh, you know, it just looks gross to him. So that's one thing. You know, fear 
by the way it looks. That's simple enough. But do you think it might be relevant that Craster's mother was from White Tree, <laughs> the, the home of these sacrifices? Uh-huh. Another savage example, perhaps, of dancing on the strings that come before us. Good chance he learned what he knows about sacrificing to the old gods and or the others from his mother. <laughs> Random but fitting idea. Craster's mother may have even given one of his own s- siblings or kin to the tree. What that she had given him. <laughs> and maybe he escaped from that. Yeah, <laughs> That would have been a better choice, Mama Craster. Uh-huh. Um, or to the White Walkers. So his, by the way, we don't attribute any of this to his father because Craster's father was apparently from the Night's Watch. So he probably <laughs> didn't get involved with any sacrificing. <laughs> yeah. Um, this tree is hmm. receiving sacrifices now, pro- probably. And it possibly has been for a long time. Perhaps that's why it's so large. Or because it's so large, that's why it's so <laughs> demanding. Chicken or the egg? Tree or baby? Ice and fire. <laughs> The simplest explanation is that the tree, as the quote emphasizes, thanks Raven, is very old. Whatever Craster had in mind with his sacrifices, there's no denying that they seem to work. He seems to be left alone by the others. Maybe demanding all your male babies isn't exactly a good example of being left alone, (laughs) but you get the point. Are they watching nearby? Are they using the heart trees themselves? Hmm. We couldn't help but notice that Bran, Coldhands, and company make their entire journey without seeing a heart tree. And while it could simply be that none were written about, perhaps it was intentional avoidance. Yeah, Coldhands may have been guiding them on a path around that. That's hmm. kind of peculiar. Yeah. This, by the way, is one of the reasons we find it hard to believe that there are many thousands of werewolves in the North. It would be hard to avoid them all if there were that many. Um, the only whites they seem to encounter... Brandon Company and Cold Hands was at their final destination, and it was a pretty long trip. Meanwhile, Sam and Gilly also have no trouble for a while after fleeing Craster's Keep until they stop at a village. Sam stares at the heart tree, trying to figure out if he recognizes it. Maybe he was remembering it wrong. The face carved into the bone pale trunk was long and sad. Red tears of dried sap leaked from its eyes. Was that how it looked when we came north? Sam couldn't recall. Well, it's definitely not White Tree. That's why it looks different. <laughs> a mob of Whites show up very soon after, however. Easy enough to imagine that the Whites were just following them, though. And it's simple a matter of they stopped at the village and the Whites caught up. Because the Whites are <laughs> slow and shambly. It's supposedly warmth that draws them. And apparently the fresher the life, the better. So you know. Yeah, Sam and Gilly were with a baby. But perhaps the better explanation is that Bloodraven saw them through the tree, or had seen them earlier. I don't think we can just assume that their last-minute rescue by cold hands and that flock of ravens <laughs> was luck. Not just a last-minute rescue. I think, <laughs> I think this was, you know, maybe we could have seen it coming. Looking at other examples, uh, the dead rangers that tried to kill Lord Commander Mormont were found near the grove of nine heart trees north of Castle Black. Faramir's death? scene comes inside of a heart tree though he's there for several days before the whites show up true true there are of course plenty of white attacks that come nowhere near a heart tree as well most notably the fist of the first men that of course was a very large group of men so i suppose the others were going to notice them no matter what right and of course we we've put out some theories in some of our older episodes about the fist of the first men being like maybe a sacred site as well and that may have been part of the reason they were attacked anyway there's a large-scale difference to be noted here while the seven are meant to be loved and respected, the old gods are meant to be feared and yeah. respected. That's harsh. <laughs> yeah. The Ironborn way of life is, of course, also harsh, but even they believe that they're going to some sort of awesome afterlife. You know, the drowned gods' watery halls. It seems there's no heaven for Starks, nor hell for Boltons. <laughs> well, that's too bad. <laughs> yeah. Bran may achieve some sort of immortality, but the idea frightens him. 
And I can't really blame no, him. No, who wants to be an immortal tree? That doesn't yeah. sound that appealing. No. A piece of evidence. <laughs> <laughs> a piece of evidence against the others seeing through the heart trees is that they so often seem to be favored by ravens, who are most associated with the children, not the others, not really even people either. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's unclear what relationship the children have with the others, though. It, it might be closer than it seems. Right. So if the children have a relationship with the ravens and with the others, maybe there's a, you know maybe it's a complete circle somehow. <laughs> now it's weird though. How the others aren't discussed at all. The brand spends all that time in the cave and hardly even get mentioned. There's hardly even a hint mm. there. So that's another yeah. peculiar Some piece of Some sort of, of separation there. Yeah. They're embarrassed about their tall cousin. Yeah, it's not. A, maybe not a complete separate. Yeah, of course, that's one. The physical descriptions are very different. Yeah, yeah. We're dealing with magic here, so, you know, it doesn't There are some more. hints, like Leaf claiming Blood Raven is lingering to help mankind, which seems to mean he's opposed to the others, and other things back this up. But at this point, the only specific reference we have is Bran being told that the Whites can't come in the cave. They don't really talk about the White Walkers at all. The Whites can't come in. Yeah. But. We don't want to find ourselves painting a picture that portrays pedestrian good versus evil scenarios here. So, w- once again, it's always important to remember. I'm sure you've noticed this is just not that kind of story. Mm-hmm. Either way, there is certainly no evidence of the others using ravens. But we do see an undead raven with the other whites uh, that's seemingly trying to stop Bran from reaching the cave. Yeah, just a, it's just a brief mention, but mm-hmm. it's definitely there. The weather uh, didn't get worse or anything. It was really cold, by the way. So, weather trivia. The farther you go north, to a certain point, of course, the colder it gets in general. And typically that's how it works, you know, for real. But, <laughs> but weather, even on Earth, can behave in funny ways. Sometimes there will be snow in one place where just north, where traditionally cold, it's traditionally colder. There's not only no snow, but greater warmth. That's not so strange. But wouldn't it be really strange if that imbalance continued for several weeks straight? For example, say... A part of the north is experiencing a horrible, unrelenting blizzard, while many leagues farther north, it's simply just really, really cold. Yeah. Now, in one situation, people and animals are literally freezing to death. In the other, it's just quite terrible, but not so much deadly. In other words, exactly what's happening right now. At the wall, it's damn cold. North of the wall, where Bran was at, was at, was about the same or so, but starting somewhere along the path of Stannis' army from Deepwood Mott and all the way to Winterfell, the winter is death. There has been cannibalism and frozen soldiers. Now, only horses bred in the north remain among the pack animals. All the others are frozen to death. It's fair to mention the wall's magic and the old gods' lack of power again here. We already know the weather is magical, but we don't always know exactly where and when. Something's weird about this. You're, you Northmen brought these snows upon us, insisted Corliss Penny. You and your demon trees. R'hllor will save us. R'hllor will doom us, said Artos Flint. A pox on both your gods, thought Asha Greyjoy. <laughs> Since the Northerners handle the weather fairly well, meaning it doesn't seem to, too weird to them, it might be a stretch to say there's magic at work, but it does feel funny because of the separation yeah. between the farther north. Yeah, the intensity isn't really the issue so much as the location and how it seems so focused in that area for so long. Yeah. Magic storm or no, at the end of A Dance of Dragons, Stannis' army is camped at a crofter's village not more than a few days in normal weather from Winterfell, where there is no star, Mm. by the way. (laughs) Uh, But the blizzard is so bad that it's difficult to see more than a few arms length in front of oneself. And they've stopped... I didn't know I had a few arms. (laughs) (laughs) And they've stopped making progress forward at all. Yeah. Asha reflects that eight days ago, 
She walked with Allie Mormon to check out the heart tree there, and of course it creeped her out. <laughs> <laughs> she described it as gnarled and ancient with slitted red eyes. The village lies between two lakes, both frozen, of course, <laughs> and the heart tree lies on an island on the larger lake. Interesting if the roots of this tree connect through the bottom of the lake or Interesting something. Interesting if they don't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Stannis himself, we hope, takes a look at this tree himself. <laughs> Perhaps he'll take note of its similarity or lack thereof to the tree he grew up with at Storm's End. In fact, while buried under the snow, I already imagine he's thinking, Storms! End! <laughs> okay, fun, That's terrible. fun theory time again. <laughs> We're told by George that genetics in his world have a magical element. Well, that probably is obvious already, but it's good to see him admit it. <laughs> <laughs> there is at least in part a supernatural explanation for why some houses have managed to look the same for centuries or more. However, not nearly all the ancient houses of Westeros have a distinct look or a distinct family trait. Consider the great houses of Westeros and think of which ones have a, a look and which ones don't. Of course, the Targaryens are the most distinct. Yeah. Definitely. The less so, the Baratheons clearly have a look as well with the black hair and blue eyes that stand out. Even in bastards like Gendry, uh, Mia Stone, Edric Storm. Definitely. It's easy to forget that Stannis and Renly are tall and broad-chested. Not, not as big as Robert, but still large. The TV show can make that easy to forget. The TV show makes a lot of these similarities easy to forget because they, didn't, they weren't able to, for real-life reasons, to make everyone uh. look so similar. It's just hard to pull that off. <laughs> The Lannisters don't have green eyes and golden hair. They have lightish hair, <laughs> and the eyes are just whatever color they are. Golden eye and green eyes in the series, however, is quite common for a Lannister, even in the past, and red hair for a Tully as well. Though those traits can be found in Lannisport and elsewhere in the Riverlands for the red hair, it's pointed out that the Lannisters of Casterly Rock have golden hair, while the various Lannister offshoots are more properly referred to as yellow-haired. What about the Martells? Well, they're Dornish, but there's no Martell family set of traits that's been established. There's no Martell look, so to speak. The Red Viper has his widow's peak, and that's pretty notable, especially in his, um, a lot of his offspring. But that seems to be just him. It's not a Martell thing. The Martells, now they might stand out from their countrymen. And Dorn is a melting pot in the first place. But that, if, it's, if this is the case, though, we either missed it or it's not explicitly mentioned. So we're just going well with what we have. Greyjoys? Not really, as far as we can tell. Nope. Aarons? Not that we know of, but perhaps we just haven't seen enough of them. We've barely seen any Aarons. Yeah. Now, the Starks. Yes, definitely. The Stark look is mentioned multiple times. The distinction of whether Ned and Kat's kids look Stark or Tully is prominently mentioned. And none of them look in between. And they're either <laughs> they look Stark or they look Tully. John and Arya alone of the batch look like the Starks. Rob, Sansa, Bran, and Rickon all look Tully. Mm-hmm. And lastly, there's the House Tyrell. Nothing too distinct about them other yeah. than a tendency for brown hair. But it's probably a stretch to call that a look. Yeah, I mean, brown hair is kind of common anyway. Uh-huh. So, like, yeah, I don't know. If, I don't know if we can... I think I agree with you there. I don't think that's a look. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, all those houses that have a look, so to speak, have a heart tree. Hmm. All those that don't, do not. Except for the Targaryens, like we said. But they've got the whole incest thing going on, and the weird dragon blood thing, and they've looked this way since long before they came to Westeros. There's clearly magic involved there anyway. They might, there might be, this might be counter-evidence to this theory, but it doesn't seem that way due to all that. Mm-hmm. The Targs are actually good enough proof, apart from GRM's word, that the Genics are magical, too. And there's a bit of a pattern. Uh, to be fair, though, there are quite a few trees we've never seen, so yeah, we're going with what we have. Again. No heart tree on Pike, Sunspear, the mm. Eerie, and probably not in Highgarden. We just don't know for a fact about that. We're going to guess no. But there is a heart tree at Riverrun, and there is a heart tree at Casterly Rock. And, of course, there's one at Winterfell. There was one at Storm's End, too, until Melisandre came along. 
Mm-hmm. Now, one reason this theory appeals to me is that it connects blood as it pertains to ancestry with blood in the physical sense. And George loves to kind of do those double meanings, mm-hmm. triple meanings, quadruple <laughs> meanings sometimes. The werewoods fit nicely because, one, we've at least somewhat established a link between their location and preserved family looks. Two, this is quote by Jojen. When they died, they went into the wood, into leaf and limb and root, and the trees remembered. All their songs and spells, their histories and prayers, everything they knew about this world. If the tree and or the werewood network takes in all those memories, songs, etc., why not preserve some aspects of personality or appearance? It doesn't seem like that different, really. Throughout the rest of the episode, we're going to look for more examples of that and counterexamples, too, because any decent theory deserves to be pummeled with evidence before it should be considered remotely viable. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some theories are accurate, some are fun, fewer both. (laughs) To be fair, this one is probably more fun than it is accurate, but we know you guys will enjoy looking at these details, regardless of any theorizing we toss out there with it. So anyways, going back to Storm's End, the heart tree there was described as solemn. Solemn doesn't sound like any of the Brathians we've met, not Stan, uh, you know, uh, not Stannis, nor Renly, certainly not Robert, <laughs> not the Laughing Storm, nor Lord Boros. Mm-hmm. However, the Baratheons are young. Perhaps Oris Baratheon was a solemn man, but their house is only 300 years old. The tree would not have a lot of Baratheon influence or blood compared to House Durandin, who ruled Storm's End for thousands of years. They were the founders of it. We don't know much all about House Durandin, except that they have that mythical ancestor who <laughs> stubbornly kept rebuilding the castle during God's grief. Mm-hmm. And as you know, Melisandre had this tree burned along with the entire Godswood at Storm's End. This is one of the most ancient castles in Westeros, so most likely this was a really old tree. It's probably the f- quite possibly the first heart tree that's been destroyed in Westeros in centuries, maybe since the time of Harrenhal's mm-hmm. being built, uh, maybe with some other isolated incident here or there. Mm-hmm. But that's uh, certainly one this important. doesn't seem like it's happened in a long time. Now, could this matter? Could this have an effect? Is her destruction purely symbolic? Is it just, you know, her religion fighting another religion? Or is there some sort of pragmatic element, you know, like her, like maybe her spells work better without the presence of this werewolf, this competing element, we can call it. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe she just wanted <laughs> to chase away the ravens. <laughs> now, speaking of ravens, again, they keep coming up. Remember that dead green singers, green seers, however, whichever term you prefer, mm-hmm. have been passing from bird to bird and they're in the trees the personalities are kind of held on to a bit. Clearly this established, or affects rather, the bird's personality. So it, it seems that this sort of process is kind of established already, the whole passing on of, of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, between this and the second life of wargs and all that we know about the trees remembering, well, blood heritage comes in many forms. Things just work that way on planetos, it seems. So we're maybe we're, we're just trying to extend it to this. Yeah, at least pretty often they do. Right, yeah, not always, certainly. Now there are also patterns in the personalities of certain characters. If you've read The Hedge Knight, you probably noted how similar the Laughing Storm, Sir Lionel Baratheon, is to Robert Baratheon. Big, charismatic, fearless, huge laugh, all Similarities that. between brothers and sisters, sons and uncles, no, no big deal. We're talking about 90 years apart here. Yeah, we're supposed to believe these things yeah. passed down like that. A similar know. example comes from House Craighall. Dunk no, uh, notices that Sir Rollin Craighall is a, is a bit big. Nobody really looks all that big to Duncan the Tall. <laughs> and all the modern Craycalls are big. Strongbore, Sir Burton. And even some, maybe all the Craycall phrase, such as Merritt and, or Merritt Muttonhead, rather, and Sir Hostine, who were, their mother was uh, from House Craycall. Yeah. Uh, that Craycalls are large is also widely known, too. But, but maybe they don't have a hard tree anymore. Maybe they're just big. It's, it's certainly possible. <sighs> Let's check out the Winterfell tree. Contrast to Melisandre. Neither Ramsay nor Theon destroyed this tree, and, well, I mean, Ramsay's a 
you know, from the north. He he probably doesn't go around killing heart trees. But <laughs> Theon, what does he care? Uh, well, he did kind of care. We saw in episode one that the heart tree was having an effect on him. Before that, though, when he was arrogant young Theon, before he'd been tortured, he still left it alone. Mm-hmm. Now, like the one at Storm's End, this Winterfell one is also described as sto- solemn, which does match the Stark look. John himself is described. He had the Stark face, if not the name. Long, solemn, guarded. A face that gave nothing away. And Arya took after their lord father. Her hair was a lusterless brown, and her face was long and solemn. So the Stark look and the Winterfell tree are decidedly solemn. George has repeated this enough times to make it clear. He's not varying the synonym. It's very specific. When Jon closed his eyes, he saw the heart tree with its pale limbs, red leaves, and solemn face. Again. The weirwood was the heart of Winterfell, Lord Eddard had always said. Heart of Winterfell, indeed. Now this tree also shows up in many a stark dream, often alongside the hot pools that are right there. Mm-hmm. It seems like this might not be a metaphor. It might it might be a really big deal if this tree is burned or cut down. Now, there's not a lot of ways we can see that happening, but there is uh, one or two ways we could see it coming to pass. Now, Melisandre isn't with Stannis' army. Like we said, she's at the Wall and, and eventually going to go to the Night mm-hmm. Fort, ba- you know, assuming their plans aren't delayed based yeah. on everything that's happened up there. But there are some zealots in Stannis' army. Remember them repeatedly asking Stannis to burn someone as an offering to help mm-hmm. with the weather. If he succeeds in taking Winterfell, his followers might ask for it. They might say, hey, destroy that demon tree. But surely he's not so big a fool to alienate the Northerners like that. Part of why they're fighting for him in the first place is that he intends to rescue Ned's little girl. Well, then again, though, Stannis burned the Seven. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is. It's, it's, a, it's a very large tree. It's not bigger than the White Tree, apparently, and probably not as big as another that we'll be seeing later. But it is one of the biggest. The heart tree at Winterfell had roots as thick around as a giant's legs. A detail adds to the mystery, or rather a detail that adds to the mystery and fits in nicely with the themes of blood, ancestry, and continuance is the crypts, the Winterfell crypts. John has strange feelings about the place in general, and we know his feelings matter. The heart tree isn't right next to it, but the godswood is, and who knows how close things get underground. Right, the roots and the ancient levels with the stone kings and their direwolves far below, deep below the earth. Maybe there's some connection. The roots could be poking their way into the crypts. Maybe the crypts and the tree are whispering secrets to each other. Mm -hmm. I wish I could listen to that. The Three-Eyed Crow tells us that he's been watching Bran since his birth. (laughs) The ravens at Winterfell might be the typical way for him to watch. (laughs) It's conception. It could be a typical way for him to watch what's happening there. Uh, During the wedding of fake Arya, there are ravens watching. Blood Raven could have been watching, no doubt. Nope. It said he has a thousand eyes in one, so it seems he's watching quite a few places at once. Perhaps he keeps an eye. On, he keeps an eye on the place of his birth, which is Raven Tree Hall, named so because of all the ravens which have been gathering there every night since well, long ago, long ago, thousands of years. It said <laughs> the very name Raven Tree seems to indicate that the ravens have been coming to this tree since before the castle was even built, assuming the tree was there before the castle, which I do think is a safe assumption. Some of the trees in their god's wood were said to be as old as Raven Tree's square towers, especially the heart tree, a werewood of colossal size whose upper branches could be seen from leagues away, like bony fingers scratching at the sky. This tree was bare and dead, though. Unfortunately, we get no description of its face. I'm curious to see what happens to the eyes and mouth of a dead heart tree. Yeah, well, there would be no more sap, I suppose, but... Are the eyes still open? Does the red color fade? Does it still have an expression? <laughs> mm, I don't know. 
The Blackwoods are the only house in the South that we know of that still keeps the old gods. Though it's hinted that there might be others and they might have heart trees too. Uh, it is notable that this prominent bastion of old gods worship is tied to the largest in the South. Mm -hmm. It could be the biggest there is, in fact. But again, technically it's dead, so yeah, thinking of it that way. <laughs> Interesting, though, if we're worried about what happens to other places when they lose their tree, this could be uh, an example. They still worship the old gods. They're still sticking to that, so that's good. The tree hasn't shown a leaf in a thousand years, according to Lord Blackwood. One might mm -hmm. think that perhaps the Blackwoods are slowly losing their faith, but he seems to be keeping yeah. it strong. Some of these ancient houses are also really proud of their heritage. And this might be what they're really loyal to, their heritage, not so much their religion. They're not necessarily truly devout. Uh, they just kind of, this is how they've always done things. And the Blackwoods have ravens on their sigil and the heart tree itself. So, so it would be a real change for them to just throw all that away and start new. It would be a complete rebirth. Uh, finally, Lord Blackwood, uh, Blackwood's armor... Lord Blackwer, yeah. <laughs> his armor depicts the raven tree in its current state, leafless and everything. So he's proud of the tree, despite <laughs> it being so long dead. Blood Raven, of course, is half Blackwood himself. We're considering a Blood Raven bonus episode, because it seems that we may have taken for granted uh, how much people know about him. Yeah, we made a few assumptions. Uh, 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 quite a few of you didn't realize he and the Three-Eyed Crow are the same being. Uh, <laughs> a few of you also thought that that was a spoiler when we said it last episode. Sorry if you took it that way. It's technically not a spoiler. It has been revealed, though it is really subtle, hard to pick out, especially if you haven't read Duncan Egg. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, even the, then, though, the clues are there in the, in the main five books. Yeah, it's just George being subtle and us having known it for a while. We, you know, yeah. since we forget what was subtle huh. and what wasn't. <laughs> if you feel strongly that we should do an episode on him, we probably will at some point anyways. But if mm. you feel strongly that we should, uh, let us know. We have... An endless supply of topics to choose from, as yeah. ever. So your feedback can often make the difference as to which ones we settle on. Definitely. Within the next year. <laughs> Getting back to the Blackwoods, remember that they were kings for a time. Perhaps quite a long time. And this is before the Andals came, though. I have to think that in the old days, this tree, assuming it was relatively large then as well, was important. Surely such a big tree might have stood out, even in the time when heart trees were common in the South. Perhaps it's too much to assume that other now non-existent trees weren't as big, but Jamie thinks that this one is five as, as ten times larger than the one at Casterly Rock, and that one is unlikely to be young, given the age of Casterly Rock itself. Right, so that's a big difference in the one at Casterly Rock versus the one at Raven Tree. So, we're thinking this Raven Tree is quite special, despite being dead. In days long gone before the Andals, control of this tree may have been a principal reason for their claim to dominion over whatever region their kingdom encompassed. In other words, the Blackwoods controlling this tree might have been part of their legitimacy for having uh, being kings. Before Raven Tree Hall was built, I can almost picture petty lords, tribes, clans, whatever, fighting over the site in the same manner people in the real world fight over holy sites. And still do. Remember that a heart tree is a lot like a priest, church, and holy relic all rolled into one. So surely some would see this tree's great size as some sort of favor or blessing of the old gods. Some sort, something along those lines. Perhaps they thought of it as a place that the old gods dwelled in particularly great strength. Yes. Especially when considering the ravens as well. Somehow I doubt other trees in the area had ravens gathering on them to this degree. And they still come despite the tree being dead. We see ravens in other werewoods, in large numbers even, but nothing like this. The Blackwoods embrace this, and I suspect that this overt sign, which they witness daily, is a major reason why they are the only named southern house that still keeps the old gods. 
It's difficult to cease the worship of gods who seems to constantly remind you of their existence. If they had faded yeah. away into nothing, you'd be like, no big <laughs> deal. But Especially when the seven do nothing supernatural in response. <laughs> yeah, it's not like they're not being pushed from the other. They're only being pushed by other people, not by the gods. I suspect that one of the major motivating factors to building castles around heart trees was to control access to them in the first place. The way people fight over holy sites in the real world makes this idea so compelling from a common sense historical perspective that I almost believe it completely, despite a complete lack of evidence. <laughs> but just as easily, or more easily, the Blackwoods just pulled a finder's keepers and have held on tight to that tree ever since. Again, of course, much of this assumes that the tree existed before the castle. It is also possible the castle was commissioned and the tree planted at the same time. But in the early days, when there were few castles and many large heart trees, why wait for a new tree to grow? Why not claim the biggest already existing tree and build a castle there? Why not? Once you've claimed it, you get to tell everyone that clearly the gods willed it that way. <laughs> go around saying, the old gods granted favor to House Blackwood by giving us dominion over the raven tree, defeating all other claims, thus is our right to rule. A lot of people would buy that argument slash propaganda. <laughs> then again, maybe the tree was small when they first built around it and something else made it grow so large afterwards. Yeah, more on that shortly. Of course, it's possible that the, Bracken, that the Blackwoods are right, that they really did have the favor of the old gods. They still do. <laughs> now, oh. nearby arch enemies, House Bracken, could be one of those families who got rid of their heart tree. Lord Blackwood and his ancestors believe it was the Brackens who killed the raven tree. Perhaps when the Brackens converted to the Seven, they cut down their own tree and followed that up by poisoning that of their arch-rival. Yeah, the, the Blackwoods blame everything on the Brackens, yeah. though, so, I don't know. <laughs> but I do think there's a strong chance that's accurate. How do you uh, poison it? <laughs> yeah, good question. In general, throughout history, when opposing religions conquer each other, the destruction of temples and holy places is fairly common. Mm-hmm. Though, so is conversion. You know, like sometimes they just convert, like a mosque could be converted yeah, into a Christian church. Yeah, you can't convert a tree, back convert, You cannot convert a tree, yeah. that's true. Hang little paint it, of the seven. Paint it, yeah, what do you paint do? Rainbow. Paint a big color seven on it. Rainbow is the color of the seven. <laughs> <laughs> but you don't see much of that when the religion is shared. It's, yeah. it's, it's one thing that gets left alone. So if that has any bearing here, if the Brackens held much regard for the old gods, I don't see them killing another heart tree unless they were willing to kill their other, or kill their own, mm -hmm. uh, or others. Especially considering how special this raven tree is. That's a big deal. During Jamie's conversation with Titus, he thinks of the Weirwood in Casterly Rock. We can assume that this is a heart tree. Perhaps it doesn't have a face. Mm -hmm. It's possible. Uh, but since it's in Casterly Rock, an extremely ancient castle, it probably does have one. Though the ra raven tree Weirwood is monstrous, Jamie claiming it is ten times larger than the one at Casterly Rock is significant. I mean, ten times. He might be exaggerating a little bit. God, that is huge. <laughs> yeah. Why is such an old tree so small still? Too, not enough light? <laughs> Could be. Not I, light. I don't buy it, though. If it had enough light to grow in the first place, it should be able to continue. I mean, it's exposed to the light. It's growing. Uh, I don't know. It, it could be... It, that could be it, though. But, but keep in mind how these trees work. In a slow but steady process, trees break through stone. We saw that at the night fort. We've seen it in other places. You see it in real life. Real trees do that all the time. And we're about to see examples of where what's doing it. If, you know, where what's doing it. <laughs> Proving what we probably could have safely assumed. So let's look at more examples. But notice how the southern weirwoods seem to be a lot smaller than the northern ones. Well, except for this one. How can this be if nearly all of these castles were initially built around existing trees? Think about that as we continue our tour of the southern weirwoods. Also, at this point, we discovered through Jamie and Lord Titus's conversation that dead weirwoods don't rot. As covered in part one, they slowly turn to stone. It takes roughly 2,000 years, according to, uh, to Lord Blackwood. 
Which brings us to the very curious tale of Naga, the mythical sea dragon slain by the Grey King on Old Wyke. He built his hall from her bones, legend says, but all that remains now are her ribs. How the hell does this relate to werewoods, you say? Well, since we have established that dead werewoods turn to stone, consider the notion that Naga's ribs might actually be werewoods when you listen to this quote. On the crown of the hill, four and forty monstrous stone ribs rose from the earth like the trunks of great pale trees. George flat out (laughs) compares them to pale trees, so there's that, whether that's an argument for or against. But how ironic would it be if the holiest place in all the Iron Islands is a former werewood grove? They would really be mad if they found it. It That would be a very large werewood grove. Yeah, that would be really good. You're right. That would be massive. It's, 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 they're all in like a line, but they're werewood circles, and clearly they, they plant werewoods in certain patterns. So I think it's possible. I, I, uh, I certainly like the idea of it. Like, I, like we said, it, it would be really ironic. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's certainly nothing, there's no proof, but it, it, it's, there's, it's hinted at, and it's cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so now let's head to the Crown Lands, north and east of King's Landing, that would be, mm-hmm. uh, with Brienne this time, who encounters a werewood at the site where she slays Pig, Timian, and Shagwell. Those. <laughs> happy folk that they were. This would be in Cracklaw Point, south of the Vale even. Um, This is no random werewood, despite being on the smaller side, though not small, as it was large enough for Shagwell to hide in. Brienne perhaps offers it a blood sacrifice of sorts. She forces Shagwell to uh, to dig Dick Crab's grave directly in front of the tree and then slays him when he tries to catch her off guard. I've seen it suggested that the offering of Dick Crab and or Shagwell could awaken this tree. It seems dubious. Yeah, that castle was once the seat of House Crab and has been a ruin for over a thousand years. This was possibly the where the castle was built around initially, though, since it has no face, perhaps not. It could also be that this tree is much younger and that the original heart tree this castle at the Whispers was cut down. Mm-hmm. Hmm. The southernmost heart tree that we know of is in Old Town. And interestingly, it seems to be blind. An ancient werewood filled the yard, as it had since these stones had first been raised. The carved face on its trunk was grown over by the same purple moss that hung heavy from the tree's pale limbs. Half of the branches seemed dead, but elsewhere a few red leaves still rustled, and it was there the ravens liked to perch. The tree was full of them. The tree is half dead, and the raven tree itself is fully dead. Does that mean anything that the two trees with the most ravens are dead or dying? Hmm. Uh, I don't know that we see another heart tree without a godswood in any kind of major settlement like this. This tree is really isolated, and that may be why it's dying. Symbolically, perhaps, it represents the learned world, uh, killing off the superstitious and supernatural worlds. Completing that uh, analogy is easy, as the Citadel itself is right next door. It is noteworthy that this tree lives at all, to be honest. Not only did it somehow escape destruction like some of the other trees in the South, but the maesters seem to have left it alone. They who are notoriously anti-magic, some to the point of arrogance. <laughs> Perhaps the arrogance is why they leave it. So many, so few of them actually believe the tales. It would be giving in to superstition uh, to destroy it, and it's an in- and it's an interesting specimen. Besides, yeah, uh, the tree surely has seen some incredible things. It, I'm sorry. Yeah, I wonder if they ever like cut off a little piece of the. Study bark it and study it. And see what try happens. Try to make a werewood medicine. That little know. piece of bark would be stoned by now, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> perhaps uh, and and the, of course these uh, the maesters, like we said, we've left it alone. They're they're notoriously anti magic. Some of them to the point of arrogance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, anyways, uh, it's a little strange that they didn't keep. Yeah, it could. It's yeah. 
It's, it, this tree probably saw the raising of Hightower, or the old town itself, maybe. Uh, the Isle of Ravens, the pirate lord who ruled the mouth of the honey one. And the raising of the Starry Sept, where the High Septon prayed and fasted for seven days before surrendering the city to Aegon the Conqueror. Wait, maybe it didn't see that. Or, or those other things, it's blind. <laughs> oh yeah, never mind then. So let's go to the Riverlands. <clears throat> River Run get right over there. has a hard tree, which is right described here. as... <laughs> that's right. River Run is described as slender. This one is in a castle, Godswood, and this has no lack of light. So something else must explain why this old tree is so smallish. Possibly. It's not actually that old, but Riverrun is at least a thousand years old. I kind of doubt they added a tree after the Andal invasion. So it's pretty likely that this is the original tree. Right. I mean, the Andals probably built the castle if, if it wasn't uh, built by first men, which would mean if the first men built it, they probably did have a tree there already, and the Andals would probably wouldn't add one there. Uh I wonder if it liked the taste of Lord Rickard Garstark. <laughs> this tree might know a thing or two about Tansy and what Cat, Lysa, and Littlefinger did as children. We don't want to know that. Yeah, never mind. <laughs> I, it might enjoy, I might rather, enjoy seeing Brandon Stark duel young Peter Baelish, though. Might be comical. It might be, yeah. Not too far away uh, is Harrenhal, a fairly new castle, and thus an interesting contrast to the ancient ones. Completed only around 300 years ago, and though built by a worshipper of the drowned god in a region dominated by the Seven, and despite this, werewoods that had stood 3,000 years were cut down for beams and rafters. Maybe that's why the place, maybe that's why the place is cursed. The ghosts aren't of Heron and his sons, they're from the singers in the beams and rafters. But where did he get that? Yeah, 300 years ago, there weren't supposed to be a whole that many werewoods still around, but, but Heron's domains could have included some parts of the north or parts mm -hmm. of the neck. Or some out-of-the-way places where he could cut down some werewoods, maybe. Yeah. But he didn't go to the Isle of Faces, did he? Maybe he did, but it doesn't seem like he did. Yeah, that was a source of werewoods right there. But, yeah. yeah well, well, we're going to talk about the Isle of Faces later in the episode. But it's a bit of a mystery. As part of the castle's construction, there is a werewood within its monstrous walls in 20-acre godswood. Mm -hmm. So the ancient tradition of building around a heart tree was observed... Uh, even in this case. Yeah. But since it has a face, it is clearly older than the castle. Right. The tree itself seems to reflect the seemingly well-deserved reputation of the place, perhaps just as cursed as the castle that surrounds it. Mm -hmm. It was a terrible face, its mouth twisted, its eyes flaring and full of hate. Now this is Arya seeing that. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, Arya doesn't give us a m much idea how large the tree is, but you'd think if it was particularly big, she'd say something. Mm -hmm. Now since the castle hasn't been here that long, relatively speaking, it wouldn't have had a lot of the same history... Uh, some of the others have. That said, the crazy hate face seems to fit Harrenhal perfectly. Yeah. It's been forced to grow. <laughs> That's right. There'd never, there's, there'd be little reason to think this tree has seen a lot of sacrifices or what have you, as it's never been ruled by a worshiper of the old gods. Not since the castle was built anyway, not that we know of. One thing we do know about it is that this tree has 13 deep slashes made by the Valyrian steel blade Dark Sister around 170 years ago. As Prince Daemon Targaryen and his dragon Caraxes the Bloodworm waited for his despised one-eyed nephew Prince Aemond and his dragon Vagar, he marked each passing day with a cut to the tree, and that's where the slashes came mm -hmm. from. There are probably a few other solitary heart trees in the south, but we have no specific details. Mm. We, can't, we can't go through all the unknown possibilities, of course, so if you're pondering the question of which other castles might have heart trees, think about when it was built and who built it. The older it is, the more likely it has a heart tree. As backwards as that might sound. Huh. 
And El Castles and castles built in specific geographical locations, especially, yeah. will not likely have them. Mm-mm. Dorne is a bit of a mystery to us. Uh, we, I don't think we have a single example of a werewood in Dorne inside a castle or no. No, we've seen a few places there, and it hasn't been mentioned. But no. mountains are not a great place for werewoods, especially uh, the desert mountains. <laughs> we do see some at higher altitudes, though, um, but those seem to be hills. Uh, I guess that's just a better place for trees to grow. They need to have a, get their roots really deep. <laughs> The difference there being the raised dirt of a hill, being the hard, pure hard rock of a mountain. I mean, mm-hmm. we've seen trees get through the rock, but they got to have a place to get started, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Of course, uh, we hardly need to be reminded that deserts are in hospitals to, to trees, uh, and werewoods don't seem to be an exception. If you wanted to build a castle in the desert, even back in the Age of Heroes, there just might not have been a werewood to build around. Yeah, it's true. There is an interesting mini topic because, or this is an interesting mini topic because the first men, the first first men to arrive in <laughs> Westeros, that's hard to say, the first first men, <laughs> the first first men to arrive in Westeros would have found themselves in Dorne, right? That's the first, you know, you walk across the, the broken arm of Dorne and there you are. <laughs> now, uh, the Reach is mostly plains and farmland and, and open spaces, not a lot of forests. So there's probably nothing there, uh, certainly anymore. Maybe there had been. Mm-hmm. The arbor is another possibility. There may be some trees out there. It's a bit more isolated, but eh, we're not, we just don't know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now, that's all for the individual trees in the south, but we're not ready to head back north just yet. While there is much to be learned uh, from looking at the remaining trees below the neck, there's quite a bit we can glean from the locations that don't have a tree. Right, we've already raised the issue of House Bracken and how theirs is likely gone, and Dorne in general, but there are other places still. While many castles have destroyed their tree, one particularly important location never had one, the Erie. They tried to plant one by hauling up soil from the valley floor, but we're told that no sapling would ever take root. There's reason to doubt this story, or at least to suspect there's a lot more to it. I'm referring to the apparent contradiction of Andals going around destroying werewoods only to try to plant one in a major new castle. Now, perhaps one of the early lords of House Aaron wanted to cover all religious bases, so uh-huh. to speak. Maybe he na- married a northern girl. There are examples of that. Maybe a Stark, even, and tried to have this tree planted for her to remind her of uh, her. Ned had a set built for Catelyn at Winterfell. This would be a similar thing. Yeah, it's, it's exactly the same thing. In any case, the tree not taking root could just could have symbolic meaning. A strong case can be made that the Aarons have the least first men blood of the Grey High. It's not even a strong case. It's basically <laughs> true. Story-wise, the Eerie did not support Rob, whose direwolf seems evidence that the old gods did. <laughs> Sansa, Elaine, uh, the one Stark child whose wolf has died, has gone there. Well, not the one. <laughs> <laughs> the one who's yeah, yeah the one who's alive <laughs> and wolf <wolf-hunt. laughs> uh, horrible uh, has gone there and with a different she's gone there with a different identity than the one she was born with in the north. Littlefinger has even made an enemy of House Royce, a house notable in the Vale for keeping older traditions. So turning to them, the Royces. Uh, their castle, Runestone, is a particularly strong candidate for having kept their tree. The Royces are probably the second most powerful house in the Vale. So. Lord Royce, known as Bronze Jan Royce, wears the ancestral armor he is named for, a bronze suit of armor engraved with runes of the first men. Also, the young lordling ranger who dies in the prologue of Book One was Sir Waymar Royce. We see a few others, but in general, a highborn southerner joining the watch is said to be rare these days, so he is notable. Now, Ned's and gran- in the prologue, no less. Yeah, no, yeah, right away, he's one of the first characters we see, probably the second. <laughs> Ned's grandfather, Lord Edwile Stark's sister, married a Royce. 
So I don't think we need any more proof that House Royce respects the old gods and has ties to the North. But while we're piling on the evidence, let's throw in one more piece. We've all heard the phrase, the North remembers. Mm -hmm. Well, House Royce's words are, we remember. Hmm. Perhaps Lord Aaron had the powerful House Royce in mind when trying to plant (laughs) that tree. (laughs) Yeah. So it's a good bet that their tree is safe and sound, maybe even with a smile on its face. (laughs) Actually, we only have vague reference to heart trees with smiling, happy expressions in the first place. And that's beyond the wall, unless you count the lapping tree sigil. (laughs) The faces that the first men and the children of the forest had carved into the werewoods in eons past had stern or savage visages more often than not. Mm -hmm. Now, it isn't mentioned... But good chance House Royce is one of the unnamed southern houses that keep the old gods. Uh, after all, apart from runic armor, the Royces have first men runes on their sigil still. Like House Blackwood, their heritage is tied to the first men and thus the old gods. It'd be hard for them to break free of that. Mm. Uh, nearby from the Eerie is the Gates of the Moon, which isn't likely to have a weirwood because it was actually built by the Aarons. And not only is it built in a very precise strategic location... But since the Andals are, I mean, since the Aarons are of Andal origin, they were just more likely to burn a weirwood down than build a castle around it in the early days. Yeah, at least one would think. Yeah, we one would think. Uh, um, the Bloody Gate, uh, another feature of the Vale, it's important. It was also built during the Age of Heroes, so a long time ago. Uh, so you might think it has a tree there, but because it's in a, built in, in a strategic location, a defensible spot in the in a narrow mountain pass, yeah. it's like a moat. It's like Moat Kalen for the Vale. Mm-hmm. It's the way in, and it's hard to do. We don't see a weirwood there, though. Uh, it's not a castle proper, though, either. It's like it's more of a fortress. <laughs> a more, or a, any, even less than that, it's more like a series of battlements with a gate sealing off the pass. Mm-hmm. So nothing strange about a tree not being there. Elsewhere in the Vale, uh, things are not so certain, largely because we've seen so little of it. Yeah. But also because the Vale, in many ways, is the most andalized, as we said. It's the most andal blood, the first men... Are, have been driven out of there. Most of the first men blood that's still there is in the, is in the mountain clans, and they're, of course, <laughs> mostly savages. Mm-hmm. Um, so that does really cut down on the likelihood of heart trees surviving. If you're looking for where the heart trees might be, mm-hmm. the Vale's not a great place, mm-hmm. other than these few places like House Royce and maybe a couple other castles. Catelyn uh, indicates in a very early Game of Thrones chapter that all the werewoods in the south were cut down, but clearly that was just a generalization of some kind because she she seems to mean she seems to mean that there just aren't any outside of castles. That's right. what we're taking from that. Yeah, and, and there's one where she grew up after all, so she knows that she it's, knows. it's it's just the way that's worded. Yeah. She's not just forgetting that she grew up with a hard tree. Yeah. Uh, the vast majority of castles we have not seen, though, so I suspect that there's a few more in the south we haven't seen or heard about. Mm-hmm. House Frey, though, certainly has, has no tree at the Twins. <laughs> the castle was only about 600 years old. Not only is there probably no tree around them to build specifically, around to build the castle yeah. around there, but the Twins was built... You know, on the green fork, <laughs> so they probably had to plant. They would have to yeah. plant one. I don't yeah, see why they would do that. Yeah, uh, the fact that this was even tried in the Erie indicates that it is possible, but we have never actually seen it happen, so we can't be completely sure. Right, it's still a kind of been a fool's, t- you know, quest. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it may be it may be impossible to plant a heart tree, uh, weirwood without. Children being involved. Right. It might take that. It really might. Uh, Yeah. Uh, We're going to actually get into that a little bit more later. Um, But for now, the nearby ruined castle of Old Stones doesn't appear to have a weirwood anymore either. Uh, I suppose when the Andals destroyed the castle, they took the tree out as well. (laughs) The case of the Eerie, though, does reveal a few things about the nature of weirwoods. Or could at least. Uh, They tried (laughs) to plant a sapling? Yeah, they tried. Where did the sapling come from? 
Uh, are there young ones anywhere? We have, no. like we said earlier, we haven't seen any. Yeah. So many were cut or burned down, but surely some new ones have started growing. Maybe, maybe mm -hmm. that takes magic. Maybe the, yeah. the waning of the magic uh, killed that. So maybe just a few are just now starting to grow again. Mm -hmm. uh, perhaps there are some young ones growing deep in the wolfswood that we haven't seen. There's a rumor that George mentioned a werewood in the rainwood during a reading. Mm -hmm. uh, that's the stormlands, so that would be really noteworthy. Yeah, definitely. And that uh, Bran also eats that werewood seed paste, so, so werewood seeds do seem to be a thing. Seed. Where, uh, where do we get those seeds? <laughs> yeah, but we just still, this is, we have no cases of werewood apple. Werewood apple. <laughs> <laughs> it's a heart. That's what grows from werewood trees. <laughs> That's, yeah. that's funny heart-shaped apple yeah <laughs> <laughs> heart fruit <laughs> yeah uh anyways uh so you know maybe the increase in magic will allow for more werewolves to grow yeah it could be yeah uh anyways but that's it for the south uh but there's still more to see up north definitely so let's head back up there where the trees are most plentiful i wonder if the heart tree at bear island <laughs> Has any sort of bear-like qualities, like uh -huh. whiskers and a big... Uh -huh. No, ha, that's a joke. Yeah. Kind of doubtful we'll get to see that one, though. Mm -hmm. The Riswell tree might look quarrelsome, or like a horse. <laughs> when I say Dreadfort heart tree, do you instantly get shivers <laughs> or what? Or disgusted? Or Even if all the torture on the TV show didn't bother you, you do not want to see what this tree has seen. <laughs> this one might be rather well fed <laughs> maybe it has pale eyes like roos somehow yeah, probably not does roos pray before his heart tree he, he doesn't well on one hand he doesn't seem like the praying type he is pragmatic and uh so he might think he's got to do what needs to be done he yeah. might think it's prudent to uh throw a few prayers in there yeah yeah uh, anyway, speaking of Roos, uh, he tells us only the heart trees see half of what happens on Skagos. Would you rather watch flying at the Dreadfort or feasts of human flesh? Tough choice. <laughs> no doubt Bran could take a peek over there and give us an eyeball full of unicorn, though. I'd take that. What about Carhold? It's not nearly as old, but surely it has a heart tree of its own. It sure. could tell us what Carlin Stark, the founder of the house, was like. <laughs> he put down a rebellion of House Bolton, so he was probably a good commander <laughs> and fighter. Last Hearth could have a really large tree the, to fit the frequently giant-sized umbers. <laughs> Barrowton, perhaps? Perhaps the tree there sits in the center of town or in a place accessible to the town. Or not. Mm -hmm. Perhaps it has a face as bitter as Lady Dustin yeah. and is only for her house and other select nobles mm -hmm. to uh, worship at. Good question, though, is what kind of access do common folk have to heart trees? Well, I imagine there are plenty out in the open near villages like the one Stannis and Asha are at. Villages are probably built or around near Weirwoods, just like the castles are. Yeah. And with many of the Wilding villages, we see the same thing. So that pattern is, is clearly out there. Um, the Starks maybe allowed the rest of the castle to pray there, probably, but there may have been some exceptions. Yeah, Lord Jerkface Stark, of course, made everyone <laughs> walk to some other tree. Ah, Lord Jerkface. What a... Yeah. What a bad guy he was. Not not very not very nice man. No. Now we come to one of the most interesting and detailed heart trees we have had the pleasure of meeting. <laughs> the White Harbor tree, which is an awful lot like Wyman Manderley himself. We get a great look at it from Davos. The heart tree had grown so huge and tangled that it had choked out all the oaks and elms and birch and sent its thick pale limbs crashing through the walls and windows that looked down on it. Its roots were as thick around as a man's waist. Its trunk so wide that the face carved into it looked fat and angry. The crowded tree is a brilliant metaphor, and there are plenty of reasons for it to be upset. The tree is surrounded by southerners. Remember that the Manorleys worship the seven. Right. Now, as a port town, 
There are all manner of people and civilization, not ideal for a tree which initially only had the smallest keep, known as the wolf's den around it. Mm -hmm. But eventually, or gradually, White Harbor took over the area. Ports have taxes, and that can make a person wealthy uh, just by sitting there. <laughs> House Manderley is certainly that, uh -huh. wealthy. Wealth uh -huh. can lead to excess, and excess can make a person overweight. Manderley is certainly that. So are both of his sons. Now, if you've read The Princess and the Queen, which I kind of imagine you have, uh, you may have noticed that one of the Manderley brothers was clever and very overweight, possibly both. Uh, I know that sounds familiar. Mm -hmm, yeah. This is 170 years that were apart that we're talking for these parallels. Right, so it's hard to keep passing that over generation to generation. They really are generation. just big-boned, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> Manderley is some sort of code word for born large. <laughs> This is the same tree that had the entrails of slavers hung in it, by the way, uh, mm -hmm. if you remember. So this tree has seen that brutal brand of justice and worse, mm -hmm. the slavery itself, which is an abomination in the eyes of the old gods. Surely it witnessed the suffering of many captives, and perhaps it felt wrath over this. Well, that could be why. There's a lot of reasons for this tree to be angry, once again. Now, eventually, instead of slaves, the tree saw prisoners as the wolf's den became a dungeon filled with criminals from White Harbor, for the most part. Not all killings in front of heart trees are meant as offerings, such as the aforementioned execution of Lord Karstark in front of the River Run tree. Yeah. But if sacrifices have a real effect on the tree, perhaps executions do as well. Yeah. White Harbor probably has worse criminals than many other northern areas, too, due to it being a city. Right, high, popula yeah. high, high population density. That's just, that's just yeah. the way it works. All this tainted and low blood... Which has been established as a thing, perhaps, because since king's blood has power in it, maybe low-born blood is <laughs> the opposite. Yeah. It detracts from power. Yeah. So if that matters at all, this would add up very poorly over time. Mm -hmm. All these criminals executed. Of course, we don't even know if these executions happen near the heart tree. Yeah. Likely it's fairly close, but certainly not right in front of it. Yeah. These aren't worshippers of the old gods, remember. These are worshippers of the seven, and mm -hmm. I don't think that's how they would do it. But we saved the best for last here. Since we've covered all the individual trees, it's time for the groups mm -hmm. first. Uh, sea Dragon Point had not always been as thinly peopled as it was now. Old ruins could still be found amongst its hills and bogs, the remains of ancient strongholds of the first men. In the high places, there were werewood circles left by the children of the forest. That last line is crucial. Mm -hmm. It's a great example of how much George can pack into one sentence. And, th and that one's easy to pass over, too. Uh, by itself, the line reveals that there are werewolf circles at all, mm -hmm. and that the children plant them, and that they plant werewolves in general. None of those mm -hmm. things were clear. Before, uh, before we that. only knew that they carved the faces and were very protective. Right. Uh, it's the only confirmed case of anyone successfully planting a werewolf, too, though we might just be exaggerating how hard it is to do so. Right, but I also think if they were easier to plant, they wouldn't be so rare, right? Maybe. I mean. Mm -hmm. uh, the notion that they built these circles in the high places is also interesting, although the, that's a bit more vague of a detail. Mm -hmm. The Sea Dragon Point uh, is in the extreme northwest of Westeros, uh, not counting beyond the wall. It juts out and does look a bit like a dragon's head uh, pointing west into the Sunset Sea with the Bay of Ice at the back of its head. Yeah. Now, hills and bogs don't sound all that appealing for building, uh, you know, building, uh, trying to settle in. But if there were ruins there, then clearly the place was viable at some point, or considered viable at some point anyway. Mm -hmm. uh, during the king's mood, uh, Asha declared her intention to repopulate it and live in peace with the Northmen there. 
And she also makes it sound like the natural resources there are quite sufficient. But Lord Roderick the Reader disagrees. Mm. And he probably knows better. Probably. <laughs> Those were He's circles. a man, after all. <laughs> no, he's the reader. He's the reader. It's because he's the reader. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> though, uh, those were circles, though. Yeah. Even a circle of stumps is a strong place, able to curb the power of Relore, and these are untouched. These are whole circles with trees that haven't been cut down. <laughs> Surely the drowned god is not welcome here. <laughs> yeah. Iron men wield axes better than most, however. <laughs> They're pretty good with fire, too. How about a long ship made of werewood, <laughs> right? That'd be cool. Until it turned to stone and sank. But. It would be good for 2,000 years, though. I think that's long enough for a ship. I yeah, think at that point, you're ready good. to upgrade your ships. <laughs> that's a good lifespan, yeah. <laughs> and then you live in it. <laughs> Uh, hard trees uh, may be capable of a lot, but they do seem to be awfully weak on defense. <laughs> if you were playing the board game, the hard tree would be zero. Yeah. <laughs> there are no true knights, nor are there true guardians of the werewoods. Not really. The children cease to be capable of keeping the hard trees alive long ago, if they ever were. Yeah. But the North does have plenty of Northmen, and they hate Ironborn. <laughs> Good chance, proximity to the sea, and thus Ironborn raids, were a main reason why this area is thinly peopled in the first place. Mm-hmm. If these Weirwood circles were seen as holy by the Northmen, it wasn't enough to keep them around, at least not in any large numbers. Keep the Northmen around. Yeah. Priests may have existed back in the day, encouraging people to pray to the old gods, but no more. If, if they ever did, they certainly... There's, only, there's a couple examples north of the Wall that maybe qualify as priests, but certainly nothing south of it. But that said, some do still care. They do keep the old gods and they put an effort into it. There's no better example than Jon Snow, who isn't in a great situation to be a tree protector, but at least he won't burn them and goes out of his way, even uh, despite inducements. The sun was sinking below the trees when they reached their destination, a small clearing in the deep of the wood where nine werewoods grew in a rough circle. Jon drew in a breath and he saw Sam Tarly staring. Even in the wolf's wood, you've never found more than two or three of the white trees growing together. A grove of nine was unheard of. The grove of nine is also what we call it. It's the site of several important scenes. Uh, John and Sam swear their vows there, while Ghost discovers the first whites seen since the prologue. John and his men round up the wildlings who take refuge in, from the chaos caused by the Battle of the Wall. And this is where One One the Giant is introduced. Right. Now, Stannis suggests that John burn the trees where he made his vows as part of accepting his offer of Winterfell and R'hllor. Stannis' offer of Winterfell to John is a major point of debate and discussion, but that part of the offer seems to seal the no deal for John. <laughs> John takes his, old, his belief in the old gods and, and vows in general very seriously. The notion of turning his back on the old gods is bad enough, but the thought of destroying the Grove of Nine is monstrous. John recognizes how special the place is here. There were nine, all roughly of the same age and size. Each one had a face carved into it, and no two faces were alike. Some were smiling, some were screaming, some were shouting at him. Hmm. In the deepening glow, their eyes looked black. But in daylight, they would be blood red, John knew. Eyes like ghosts. In part one, we pointed out that George had twice had John compare ghosts to a heart tree, particularly the eyes. We also said George doesn't point things out twice by accident. He's drawing our attention. Well, we didn't count that quote, so that makes it three times now. Three times, that's... John, uh, <laughs> John also refuses to shed blood in the grove, though he is willing to if he must. He convinces one one and the others uh, uh, that the old gods that are their gods too, and they have a right to worship at the grove. This seems to be a satisfactory answer, and there is no fighting. 
This is the only time we see a smiling heart tree, by the way, so far at least. As to the grove itself, John notes that one rarely sees two or even three werewoods close together. So the grove of nine is something special, uh, but perhaps nothing compared to the circles at Sea Dragon Point. Right. It's interesting, though, that there's such a cluster like this near the wall where there are no heart trees. But maybe this is as close as they can be. Hmm. I'm going to guess that something really major happens in the grove before the end of the series. I think it's being set up to be a reasonably big deal, but maybe the onset of winter will just make it inaccessible <laughs> and it'll just be, you know, no one can go there. If it's any comparison, what does this say about the dead grove at High Heart, where Arya counts 31 stumps? Whew. It must have been a place of enormous power. Perhaps it was a place of peace as well. Mm. It may have witnessed significant rituals of the children. I, I imagine a green seer can draw more power in a place like this. Perhaps see farther or invade more dreams. Control more animals, whatever they do. What, yeah, whatever they do. A place like this, when it was whole, might be needed for the greater magics that shattered the arm of Dorne or to create the hammer of the waters. That might be the needed as like a source or a mm-hmm. catalyst. Perhaps larger than the 31 flare, uh, heart trees. <laughs> more mystical than the Grove of Nine. And more mystical or mysterious rather than just about anything in the series the Isle of Faces, which sits at the center of the god's eye. It was here that the first men and the children agreed to cease hostilities and for no more werewoods to be cut down. Uh, so that the gods could witness the pact, faces were carved on every werewood on the isle. Or so we're told. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've long thought it possible that there could be a darker side to this, especially if heart trees require blood to become fully active. Perhaps many were sacrificed as part of this pact. In general, it's hard to believe any ancient story word for word, though, isn't it? Yeah, that's why I say, or so we're told. Uh We don't like taking things at face value too often. Not even heart tree vase value. Here, supposedly, there is the Order of Green Men, who are the closest thing we have to heart tree guardians. Uh, This could just be an ancient fable, but we are told in The Prince and the Queen that Adam Valerian flies the dragon sea smoke to consult with the green men. This may not be reliable, however, but we're also told that Howland Reed himself visits there Mm -hmm. just before the tourney of the fall spring at Harrenhal. Perhaps this is how he was able to become a competent jouster overnight, but we still favor Lyanna as the Knight of the Laughing Tree, don't we? Mm -hmm. Okay, good. (laughs) Uh, Sarah, Prince Daemon uh, Targaryen plunged into the lake during the Dance of the Dragons, but his body was never found. Perhaps it came ashore at the Isle of Faces, and perhaps he was not dead. Instead, he, I don't know, became an honorary green man. <laughs> green man! Green man! Like always sunny in Philadelphia, yeah. <laughs> That's right. Uh, uh, we were wondering earlier about Heron cutting down werewoods as part of the construction of this castle. We assume he didn't cut down any of the trees uh, at the Isle of Faces, because after all, we hear of people going there, and there's no hint that Heron ever went there. Bottom line, though? No POV character has been there. Heck, no POV character even knows someone who's been there. So right now we're pretty short on details and first-hand info. Mm -hmm. Maybe eventually we'll get a POV that does go there. And she'll maybe, he or she maybe will find in George R. R. Martin fashion that Heron actually (laughs) did go there and cut all the trees (laughs) down, killing all the green men. He'll just go there and it'll just be a bunch of corpses and bones (laughs) and dead trees. Uh That would be sad. The old god, and that's why the old gods got mad, cursed Heron (laughs) and his castle. Yeah. Clearly, that's exactly how it happened. <laughs> Anyways, we, we, we use humor because uh, we're funny. Uh, also, <laughs> we because, also because the God's Eye and the Isle of Faces are just an impenetrable mystery to us for now. 
So there's just so little that we can say without making things up and cracking jokes. And we've probably done enough of that for one episode. So that does complete our Weirwood tour. Please make your way towards the exit. But first, a great quote that we wanted to include. Uh, we didn't find a bunch of great spots for it until here at the end. It actually fits mm-hmm. nicely here. In honor of the godly melting pot that is Hall, and I mean that because it's built by an Iron Man around mm-hmm. a heart tree amongst seven worshippers on the shores of a mystic lake. Mm-hmm. That's controlling... All, ac- all access to different parts of different religions there, mm-hmm. which is what Heron probably had in mind. It's Jacob's vow to Arya, in which he invokes so many gods at once, but the heart tree is the witness. Mm-hmm. Swear it, Arya said. Swear it by the gods. By all the g- gods of sea and air, and even him of fire, I swear it. He placed a hand in the mouth of the weirwood. By the seven new gods and the old gods beyond count, I swear it. Jaken swore to kill whom, whoever Arya named. Mm-hmm. But Jaken has been through all the training of the house in black and white. He knows some of the higher mysteries, probably. If he takes a vow made at the heart tree, seriously, it's probably not idle superstition. Mm-hmm. And since Arya named Jaken as <laughs> the person to die... <laughs> yeah. Even in the burning barn, with walls of flame towering all around him and him in chains... He had not seemed so distraught as he did now. He seemed completely prepared to kill himself. He even pulled out a knife. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the old gods are watching, and they remember. Mm-hmm. And so that's the end of our episode. Uh, just going to give you our social media spiel, but please, please don't turn it off now. We uh, have some new things to talk to you about. Most that's notably, right. uh, our forum is going to is launched. Now um, it's still slightly in flux. Uh, you can find it on our website. It's historyofwesteros.com/forums is the exact where you can go to our forum. That's right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, it's it's new as of this recording, so there yeah. you, you can feel free to start your own topic, or we've started a few sample topics yeah. for you to jump yeah. on. But whatever you want to do, just get it. We, we're going to get it started. We hope it becomes a nice bustling community, and we're going to mm-hmm. be jumping in there ourselves frequently enough mm-hmm. to uh, write our own topics and to respond to other things people have said. Mm-hmm. And we hope it becomes a nice community. So help us help us out with that. Yeah. Join in; mm-hmm. it'll be fun. Uh, check us out on Facebook as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Facebook.com/westeroshistory. Yep. Honestly, you could just go to our website, historyofwesters.com, and it links to all of our social media there. That's true. Uh, it's true, but we'll just continue saying <clears throat> it. Historyofwesteros.com. That is yeah. the best place to that go. That is the best place. Um, I worked really hard on it. She sure uh, did. But uh, you can also see us on Twitter, uh, twitter.com slash westeroshistory. Uh, That's you can right. talk to Aziz there. He's oh, I, I can barely use Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, You can also email us at westeroshistory at gmail.com, of uh-huh. course. And uh, if you're listening to us on iTunes, we are also on YouTube. Uh, mm-hmm. If you're watching us on YouTube, you know. But we're on iTunes as well. Make sure to leave us a rating on iTunes. Yes. It really helps get us noticed. We love that. That's our favorite thing we get, are those ratings on iTunes. Yeah, Me, was, uh, reviews and ratings. We like yeah. them both. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I, that's why I... I Reviews is what I like. I don't care about the ratings, okay? To be clear, I don't care. Uh, we care a little. I care. Okay. No, um, but also we have some, some shout-outs and some thanks. Uh, this this uh-huh. episode was helped a lot by our good friend Savennifer, also yes. Moon Pale Maiden is her yeah. other name. She did a lot of research Any for us, as we stones? mentioned yeah. in the uh, first episode. We mentioned before she did... Great work in getting us all mentions of werewoods and heart trees and, and that's right. anything related to Godswood, everything. 
Yeah, uh, uh, Lord Varys, of course, and Bran Vross. Yeah, he's a good friend of ours, that Lord Varys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's his name on the forum. Uh, well, Mike Canick from Facebook is uh, our good friend, asking us a lot of tough questions. House mm-hmm. of Black and White and Iron Throne, Geek Furious, mm-hmm. Red Blaster, all mm-hmm. you guys are great. By the way, I've, since we're giving these shout-outs, I would like to mention that, the sh- uh, I don't know when you're listening to this, but the fourth season of Game of Thrones has just started. It's for us, it's starting tonight, um, and one of our one of our listeners, um, Azad, uh, he does some really awesome comics, and he's going to be having them out every night after uh, the show. I guess I, within a day or two. Yes, but check he did him it out. last season for season three, and they're really great. Comics and, of uh, Ice and Fire. Yeah, Comics of Ice and Fire. Look yeah. him up. Check uh, it out on Facebook. And, uh, yeah, uh, so uh, feel free to also give us a donation. You feel free to do that. Feel uh, free. <laughs> uh, we want to eventually upgrade our video camera, and we also want to get on SoundCloud, which will be. Either way, if you, you listen to us audio or video, something there will improve our quality. Yeah. One uh, thing we really like about SoundCloud is that you get to people get to leave notes at specific timestamps mm-hmm. so people can comment. That happens on YouTube. People lay out, like a comment that seems to be tied to a certain thing we say in the video, but we yeah. don't know what yeah. exactly it's supposed to reference. Yeah. So this would help with that as well as uh, helping us with some additional oh, exposure. Oh, uh, one other thing. We also submitted ourselves to the Geeky Awards. Uh, that's right. That's right. And uh, you can view our entry on the Geeky Awards' website. Uh, there's no voting to be done. It's just judges. Uh, mm-hmm. So there's nothing you can do to help us there, except you might want to look at it. You might want to look at the other podcasts and other things on the yeah, it's a good, uh, good opportunity. You might want to sub- submit yourself for something. I don't know. The, the submissions are open until, I think, June. So, uh, yeah. And I want to give a special shout-out to Ashay here who's mm-hmm. a little sick here. The, oh, the, the allergies yeah. this time of year in Atlanta can just really floor some people. And she's That's toughed true. her way out through this. That's why you so saw me with that. this uh, thing. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. It's, it's, it's a real beast for some people. So. Yeah. Uh, thanks, no, that's not the best. <laughs> thanks, Aziz. Well. Anyway, that concludes our episode. We hope you enjoyed our Werewood tour. Keep an eye out for another episode coming up soon. We're going to mm-hmm. be doing our episode reviews. Those will be a bit more open discuss- discussion. We certainly don't have time for massive preparation week to week. <laughs> so we're going to be talking about yeah. things. But we are going to have some guests. We're also going to be appearing on, do, making some guest appearances on mm-hmm. other shows, and we will yes, alert you to those uh, when those happen. Yes, a couple of things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we're gonna, we're getting out there more. Also, we can't be specific, but one of the reasons this episode took a little bit longer is we've been working on a project that we can't talk about. It's mm-hmm. we're we're under contract and not speak about it right now. Yeah. So that's about all we can say. Yeah. But look forward to that. Yeah. We'll be able to, we'll be able to tell you more specifically when the contract allows us to speak about it, but mm-hmm. something cool that we're we're involved with that's going to give you more material that should be a lot of fun. Yeah. So, All good right. things coming. All right. Thanks for listening. Yep. Uh, Valar Morgulis, everybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs>